It's Alum Group's Andrea Lay, Packview's Melissa Burdick, special guest Jackie Donowski from Flywheel, and I'm PVSB, also from Flywheel. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 13th, and it's time for the Fresh Four. Four curated news stories from the past week. We find them polyhistorically intriguing. We hope you do too. They're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence and news. Retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Jackie, kick us off, would you? Disney Advertising and Walmart Connect to bring closed-loop attribution to streaming advertisers. Well, hello there, Fresh Boy listeners. Disney Advertising and Walmart Connect have solidified an agreement to bring the retailer's industry-leading audience solutions and measurement to Disney's addressable streaming inventory. The collaboration will enable enhanced audience targeting and outcome-based measurements for brand campaigns across Disney's streaming portfolio, including Hulu and Disney+. Connecting Walmart's customer insights with Disney's proprietary audience graph will help advertisers reach their desired audiences and measure the impact of their campaigns through closed-loop attribution. Thanks, Jackie. Andrea, over to you. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. NBC Universal and Instacart link up to bring retail media opportunities to TV. NBC Universal and Instacart are expanding their existing partnership to include a new retail media workstream that will enable Instacart's CPG advertisers to connect with consumers via NBC Universal's streaming and linear television content. In late 2023, the companies teamed up to include access to NBC Universal's streaming platform Peacock as part of the Instacart Plus membership package. Now, with this new first-party data collaboration, advertisers will be able to reach consumers through NBC Universal's content and measure the impact of their campaigns by leveraging ad exposure and purchase data from Instacart. Thank you, Andrea. Melissa, what do you have for us? Amazon has announced a new country that they're opening up. Amazon has announced that it will launch a new dedicated website for Ireland in 2025. Currently, most Irish customers use Amazon sites based in the UK or other European countries. The company said the Irish site will mean that users will be able to avoid additional customs charges and currency conversion fees, and it will also lead to faster delivery and returns for many items. All right, over to you, Peter. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our co-hosts, Sri Rajagopalan and Peter V.S. Bond, explore how brands and retailers engage with consumers online, in-store, and everywhere in between. And now, here are Sri and Peter. Welcome, folks, again to the CPG Guys podcast. It's Sri and PVSP, and today's episode is to celebrate Women's Month on the CPG Guys here in Las Vegas at Grocery Shop, and now one of the CPG and retail industry's marquee, marquee premier events, of course, are showcased by the attendees and speakers. We've been recording quite a few episodes over here and decided to bring together several of our colleagues who actually feature on the side of CPG as its co-hosts. Shri, I think if we were playing the tables downstairs for six years, we couldn't strike it as rich as we have in the last oh, half wow. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. <laughs> no debate there, Peter. I'll play host and MC for this episode, and I'm hoping to have an engaging dialogue with you on the changing forces that are reshaping the CPG and retail industry as we speak across the board. 
And uh, therefore, folks, join me in welcoming to the show, Melissa, Andrea, Lisa, Jen, and my friend, PBSB. How, how are you folks doing? Awesome. Yeah. Great to be here. Right? Thanks for having us. Yeah. Happy to be here. Very excited. Wait. And we have a cake. Wait. I, I'm here for the cake. Cake. <laughs> I, that I do. I never Wait, actually what, go what, this cake? Cake. Oh, you folks will be here. Why, do we, why do we have a cake? Why, why do we have a cake here? Wait a minute. That's, that's not the Dodgers. Celebrating the World Series. The, the, the Yankees. The 51 championship of the 51, 51 home runs for Aaron, Judge? That must be it. That must be it. That's got to be it. <laughs> well, thank you, folks. But before we get to all our guests today, let me remind our audience that all of our content can be found by visiting cpgguys.com on a web browser. We have a brand new website, all kinds of rich content, episodes organized to themes like retail media, some of our most favorite topic, and loyalty as well. If you aren't following us on LinkedIn, it's a miss. Because if you do, you'll be joining 16,000 plus other industry professionals on an entertaining educational journey. Also, we managed to close group on LinkedIn, CPG e-commerce and retail media professionals. Over a thousand professionals have already joined. We keep the conversations strictly CPG e-commerce and retail media. So please consider doing so yourself. You can do that by simply going to the groups and actually asking to connect. Of course, we're happy to tell you by popular demand, we're actually on other social media platforms as well. We are. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Reels, Posts, the whole gamut. What happened to MySpace? When are we going to do MySpace? <laughs> I was going to go to Parlor. I've said that. Oh, uh, like that. Television department? Truth Social? I think we need. Uh, we need to be we, real. Be yeah, real. Be real. Yeah. Oh, my God. Be real. That's it's so Peter. I want to take pictures of my feet while I'm taking pictures of my face. That's exactly Totally. <laughs> and so the best way. The best way to find any of our content on all these other social media platforms is simply type CPG Guys Knowledge Drop on any one of those social media platform search bars and you can find our content pretty easily. Remember to check out the FMCG Guys podcast hosted by Efrain's Daniel and Efrain. They take the CPG Guys podcast format across the Atlantic all the way over to Europe and speak to retail and FMCG luminaries there. Just visit fmcgguys.com. Also check out our Tuesday retail media Minute with Jeff Malmar and Thursday Omni comment with Brian Gildenberg and our very own friends, Risa and Jen, right here on the CPG School, which is sure to feature here on Fridays on the CPG Guys. And you can do that by simply going to cpgschool.com. It's a fun way to discover what's new and next in CPG e-commerce and marketing. You'll all, you already know the Fresh Four is every Sunday and we have two co-hosts of the Fresh Four here, Andrea and Melissa. So this is going to be a fun episode. We're proud to partner with Next Up formerly known as the Network of Executive Women, whose mission it is to advance all women in business and to promote the cause of gender equality and career development. Visit nextupisnow.org slash cpgguys. We have our own page. And we have a learning learn. page. We must be serious. Special people. <laughs> our, that, our parents are always telling us we're special. What does that mean? I don't know. Maybe they wanted us to land somewhere. That's why the landing page. You get I'm trying to make fun of these things. Keep trying. And uh, do that to learn more about Next Up. Y'all be an ally, get involved, be a member of Next Up. And uh, we're also proud to tell you, Peter and I hosted Women's Month in November 2022. November is Women's Month on the CPG guys. We partner with Susan G. Coleman. We'll be asking y'all to actually contribute to Susan G. Coleman. And uh, we feature female executives as our highlight on the CPG guys in the month of November year over year. We've been doing that for two years and this will be our third year in a row. Today's episode is going to focus on digital leadership across many spectrums, all the way from retail media, what's new, what's next, what's changing, Amazon, Instacart, things of that nature. So, And we'll cover some capabilities as well in the process. 
And so before we get to those actual questions, which I'll ask each of you, let's do a quick introduction. Just take a minute each and tell me what you'll do. So why don't we start here first with you, Melissa? Sure. Melissa Burdick, president and co-founder of Actio. And co-host of Fresh 4. And co-host of Fresh 4. Andrea Lay, founder and CEO of Illum Group and co-host of Fresh Four. Thank you. Risa Crandall, I am the SVP of CPG Strategy and Sales at Key Technologies and co-host of the CPG Scoop. Jennifer Silverberg, I am founder and CEO of Smart Commerce and co-host of CPG Scoop. PBSP, I'm just an industry hack. And he's not brave enough. I know. I always say that. Thank you for that, folks. We'll, of course, include links to your LinkedIn profile, your brands, your company sites in the digital liner notes of this podcast episode so people can find you easily that way if they want to ping you after this episode. So let me get the conversation started. And I'm actually expecting that there'll be a healthy debate. So let me get it started with you, Andrea. Digital commerce. The last two years, I don't think we can debate. They've seen significant growth versus the prior history, especially in the grocery world. But it seems to have hit a plateau, and I think we're regressing back to prior to two years, starting to count what percent of my business is e-commerce, and starting to go back to those judgy ways of should we invest? Is this the end of the maniacal focus? Well, I think maniacal focus is definitely a good way to characterize it. I mean, if you look at what's happened with, like, just with the U.S. Department of Commerce data for the last three years, we've definitely, I mean, we took saw a big spike. Some categories saw a lot more of a spike than others, particularly in grocery and health personal care and beauty products. Um, and then for most categories, that e-commerce penetration number came back down. So I think overall, across all categories, we only gained like two points of new e-commerce penetration over the pandemic. But certainly certain categories saw more, and certainly certain brands saw more. Um, but it has been an adjustment backward. I don't think, however, that we're going to see a change to the maniacal focus on digital commerce, and here's why. Um, it's because we know now that more than half of the shopping journeys are starting online, and we know that shoppers are engaging with mobile and e-commerce platforms while they're in-store. We know that the shoppers that do that are more productive for the retailers, and they're learning, they're citing that they're learning about products not through physical brick and mortar stores anymore, they're learning through digital means. So everything from social commerce to e-commerce. And so I think it's even more reason to have a maniacal focus on what we're doing on marketplace platforms because that's where shoppers are going to learn about our products. Jen and Melissa, you both run your own companies. Have you seen any difference? in your client base in the last few months versus if you go back a couple of years and what 24 months presented, which is this maniacal focus? No, we're, we're seeing it increase. Um, it's very similar. Um, I, I know you want us to debate. This is a hard one to debate because I think we're in um, resounding agreement, but um, we are seeing an increase in what I would say is discovery outside the store. And even if that discovery, we're still seeing a lot of that end up in the store. So people will discover something outside the store, put it in their cart, and then go to the store and use that to, to remind themselves to buy it. And, and so and, and we're definitely seeing consumers telling us and showing us, which is the fun part of our data is we get to see what they actually do. We're definitely seeing them kind of have a, a wardrobe kind of behavior around how they buy. They'll put things in their cart, but then... They'll sit there and decide, well, it's raining. When it's raining, 
we see more of them getting delivered to their house. When it's not raining, we see them go out to the stores. So it's almost like, you know, I put on a raincoat or I don't put on a raincoat. I get something delivered or I go pick it up or I time by day part. I'm going, I'm driving by a store, I'm not driving by a store. And so, but there are a lot of them and an increasing number that we're seeing are still the discovery or the trigger is happening beyond the store, even if they're buying in the store. So no, I think the maniacal focus, maniacal, maniacal focus should continue. Could you use any, any, any difference there? There's just, I think what, um, something that you talk about a lot about is just omnichannel. Like, you have to be everywhere, and so consumers are shopping online and store. On top of it, we have macro issues like inventory shortages, and so when you go to stores, inventory's not even there. And so there's just there's just a challenge, but we're not seeing any decline in the investment or the learning investment, especially because there's such a deficit, which is why your business is so amazing, Andrea, but um, people, you know, like, I'm in the retail media space, uh, and it's just more and more platforms are launching, which means more and more people want to be on them, and they want to learn about them and understand them. And the end game is, you know, profitable growth everywhere, and they want to understand the efficient way to do that. So we're not seeing a decline. We're seeing, one, just an increase in learning and the deficit of that and how we can, as a community, help educate everybody to be most effective and efficient. And I would add on the education piece, it's about more of our brands looking at portfolio efforts or scale efforts so they can sell more within one shopping occasion and within one discovery. So guiding our clients to the best success is we're all going to win and the tides will rise. Gotcha. So I think we're clearly observing that this focus on digital in CPG companies last 24 months, the trend kind of continues, but it's, now it's emerging from just focusing on the e-commerce lower funnel to making it more full funnel and upper funnel of anything. You know, I'll start the next one with you. What does brand loyalty mean these days in an era of inflation, private label, et cetera? And then what can a brand do to keep a consumer from switching to inflationary times? What advice would you give? Brand loyalty is delivering value to the consumer, however they perceive value to be. Value can be convenience, value can be availability, value can be the price. There are a lot of elements associated with it, but you have to do it very consistently. So we talk about supply chain, right? If you don't have those, core items that they expect available when they want it, wherever they want it, guess what? You're giving them a reason to try another brand. So where you have to where you have to deliver value, and it doesn't mean you have to give them value. Value can be savings, but value can also be convenience and it can it can give you back something that you want, time, you know, a recipe and a manufacturer and a brand showing you how that you can address a meal solution is delivering value. That is one way to do it. But but at the end of the day it all it always it always end, it always focuses starts and ends with the consumer. As long as you have them in the center of your scope, then you are going to hit the target and you're going to be successful. If, if you start focusing on other things, let them distract you. My, my margin on this, my supply chain on that, and, and you're not focused on delivering to the consumer, you're not going to have brand loyalties. In my in my thought, that's really the core of the issue. Lisa, let me ask you this one. So Amazon Fresh and Grocery, Whole Foods was a big acquisition a few years ago, and um, it doesn't seem to have scaled beyond what it was acquired for. And um, fre Amazon Fresh stores, there's only average 50 of them um, in the country open at this stage, so they're not opening at a pace where they can catch up with some of the largest chains, even some of the medium-tier chain, chains to compete. So what's wrong? Is this wrong? 
in the first place? Should Amazon be opening a whole bunch more stores and focusing on the brick and mortar environment? Or is grocery just too hard for a pure play tech-based player? I think that the consumer experience is one that there's Amazon that you can buy food on. There's Amazon Fresh you can buy your groceries on, and then there's Whole Foods. And I think there is a confusion in the marketplace from the consumer perspective, just like you said, Peter, the consumer's in the driver's seat, and there's too many choices. I will say, too, that brands are telling us that in that ecosystem, too, with an Amazon Fresh, prices are high, inventory is also um, limited, and so that's going to be a tough competition with your Kroger's of the world. So that, that is something that has to be paid attention to in order to either write that or fold everything over your top of foods. And Andrew, would you agree? I agree. I think if you look at Amazon as that their physical store presence as a traditional retailer, I think they don't meet the mark. I mean, they barely pushed past 1% penetration in market share. They've only opened 60 stores. Like, what did they really, what did Amazon really get for this on the whole food side for this like 13 or $14 billion investment? But I think the that we shouldn't look at them as a brick and mortar retailer. Um, that's not what they're trying to accomplish. They're not trying to become the next competitor to Kroger. I think what they're trying to do is treat these stores as a sandbox for innovation. And the innovation comes in a few different forms. It's in technology within the store. So if you look at the innovation that has happened in those stores over time, and be sure they haven't added a lot more brands, they haven't grown too many stores, but you can pay with biometrics, you can do just walk out in at least a couple of the stores now, and I would imagine that they're using the scale that Whole Foods has to test whether that's a viable thing for them to push out further. And then from a picking and supply chain perspective, they've done a ton of innovation. And if you go to the Whole Foods stores in the Seattle area, there are no shoppers in there. I mean, they're just completely for pickers, and they're even, they've even begun reorganizing some of them so they're a little more efficient. So I think if you look at traditional grocery measures, yes, it does, they're not keeping pace, but I don't think that that's what they're trying to do. I think they're, they're using it as a sandbox for some other thing. Zero doubt that everything Amazon does, particularly if it's below scale, is, be, is for the purpose of learning. And you look at what Kroger is doing right now, and you have to ask yourself, is, does Amazon have to finger on the pulse of the future consumer who isn't looking at the store as a place to go, but rather a place to get something? And if so, why do I need to go there? Why don't I just have it come in? I think they might be learning what they need to learn to be able to compete effectively in that world. Well, and, if so, and if so, then them not having people in the store isn't a sign of failure, it's a sign of success. Absolutely. Well, I can tell you I've drove down the post road in in Connecticut over the last couple of weeks and I've seen three Amazon fresh stores under construction getting ready to open in various stages. So to say that they're not, they may only have 60 stores, they're still growing. I see it right there. They haven't put the signs up, but I know what that that storefront looks like. That's an Amazon fresh store. And on the technology side, I think they are still learning, but you know, Walk into any Amazon Fresh store, with the exception of produce, every single product, including randomly eat, has a little digital shelf tag and what's on it, average star rating and review count. They learned that from their four-star store. Everyone asked, what was the format of the four-star store? It didn't matter. It was not about what the products were that were in the store. It was all about learning whether taking user-generated content and the success that it drove online, could it work in a physical environment? I think they proved that out. 
I, and I totally agree, Peter. And I think, he, I mean, if anything, they um, wanted to spend as little time on the assortment as possible so that they could just test some of that technology and the impact that it had on shopper behavior. Like, they literally just filtered <coughs> categories for items with It was a curiosity point. There was no rhyme or reason to the product. They just shoved products on the shelf. So to see what it will do. And I do think they're making a bigger push in the services space and trying to go more B2B. And so if you look at some of the tech they're building for these stores, I would imagine the point of the stores is more to figure out how to scale the tech so they can sell it to these other grocery store chains. Because if they were going to try to compete with Kroger, that would be such a long road for them. Groceries hard, man. And that's a lot of leases and a lot of inventory. And I don't know. It's like, it's like Tom Hanks in uh, League of Their Own. If it were easy, everybody would do. Right? Totally. <laughs> the two, the two interesting uh, tech plays that they just announced. One was like doing the Seahawks game. They just put a Jay Watt in the Seahawks game stadium, which is so amazing. Like how proud of those places are. Can you imagine just grabbing going? And then also airports. Mm-hmm. Like today, I watched my colleagues struggle with you know online and trying to buy stuff. Like if you could just walk and walk out. So like in airports, the market is super high. Right? Yeah, I, paid, I paid almost $8. People will pay anything to right. get what they want quickly. Especially if they have good food. So those are like two really smart places yeah. where they're going to use that technology, and those are more that There's this competitor to the Just Walk Out technology. I'm forgetting the name of the company right now, but I read an article where they were quoted saying that their tech can increase basket sizes. Is by it up to keeper, the keeper card by Instagram? No, it's not Caper Card. It's another one that does like the um, the self checkout and all of those. And it was they were saying that they can increase the basket over time, increase the basket size by about twenty percent by not having you connected to your wallet. So like the act of not thinking about paying actually makes you buy more. I don't know if that's a true number, but even in Vegas. Right? <laughs> they prove that every <laughs> single day. It's, it's only a little it's circle. A that's, it's not a right? hundred dollars. This is so the perfect place. Can to you say think of a retailer that wouldn't want a piece of that? Right? Totally. Totally. Shree, this begs a question. How do the CPG guys get their likenesses on poker chips? If anybody can do it, you can do it. We, we are shameless. I know. Love it. Our I love it. You'll get it. It even. <laughs> Melissa, this one's for you. And it's the favorite word of the CPG guys. The word Incrementality? Retail media. Oh, retail media. Enough said. Well, that's coming. iOS is coming in this. What's new? What's hot in retail media? How far does this keep growing? Some days it feels like every retailer is making an entrance into retail media. Smallest ones, largest ones, those that have 50 stores. Everyone is an arm, and so what is going on? So you're right, it is more. We just launched Sam's Club last week, and there's more coming. Thank you. Uh, so you think Club is an actual media network now? Yep. You remember Dora the Explorer? It's the map. <laughs> Sam's Club, there you go. Yeah, map, exactly. Um, you know, one, the reason why is because it's profitability for, for retailers, and they, they need the advertising dollars. Everyone's trying to follow the Amazon playbook. But the I don't think that advertisers are getting more money. So that's, that's what is not happening, even though every retail media network is launching. So I think that, especially with the economy, what we're seeing is there is some advertising pull down. Um, so, you know, especially from a bigger media perspective with branding dollars, those are definitely getting pulled down a little bit more than like the direct response. I think that retail media networks are closer to the consumer. So potentially there's more shifting there, but in general, brands don't have more money to spend. And so what that means is these retail media networks have to perform, improve the ROI. 
And so that's just a balance. So, you know, it's going to be continuing interesting to watch. Unless they can prove infidelity, right? I know as my Going favorite word. That, my, yeah. But Risa, you're somewhat in the middle of yeah. this retail media space because of what you do for key. Yep. So exactly. I'd love to hear your opinion. Yeah, we're hearing that brands are being careful about how much they're spending. They're looking at the ROI and also getting the ROI back quickly, right? So that, that's an important piece so they can figure out the next investment for the next quarter. But we are seeing brands shift some dollars into retail media more than typical. But I would say a future trend is retail media is thinking about how they partner with other technology companies. And so I, I've seen that already happen with Roku and others. I think more of that will continue to happen. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more? What do you mean by that? So within what they have in their toolkit, looking at other companies that have other tools that they're not so looking to build. Okay. Oh, for sure, offsite. They okay. need to be more offsite than ever before. So looking at companies that have already proven out what their tools are in their tool belt to be able to partner with, not only really keep everything in the house. That that's a trend that is slowly happening, and I think more of that will come. Understood. And uh, Jen, let me go over to you. I want to connect technology and CPG because the last 10 years, our industry has woken up and kind of embraced technology in many ways. Retail media is a piece of it. Automation is another piece of it. Robotics is another piece of it. Data for the first time has become a currency to drive success. What's hot? What's, what are the latest trends? AI, ML, I hear these words everywhere. So where we're seeing the most interest and um, you know where, where we're looking hard, I would say right now, and, and our clients are looking hard, is anywhere where they can connect directly with the consumer. I have a semi-unpopular viewpoint here that if the 60s and 70s and early 80s were the year of the brands, the brands had a lot of power. In the 80s, 90s, into now, the retailers have had more power simply because they consolidated and they understood the value of the data that they had walking in and out of the door and they created retailer networks and everything. Then we're shifting to a third age of the power of the consumer. And it's a place where brands can maybe get a little of that power bounce back. And so what we're seeing are brands looking to these new technologies not through the lens of how much can I sell right now, but how do I create a relationship with the consumer that will help drive future growth? What can I do that will, I mean, first party data, of course, is kind of the first thing everybody's looking for right now. And so if something engages with the consumer and gives the brand and the consumer a reason to connect directly with each other, we're really seeing that. So whether it's metaverse in a place where a consumer can have a first party brand experience or whether it's nfts where the consumer can get um you know some sort of preference in that space because they have that nft relationship that's where we're really seeing the growth peter she said nfts do you know anything about nfts no freaking what NFT guys, is that a real We gotta, we should probably trade <laughs> Instagram. We should probably reserve that domain uh-huh. and create a logo. Oh, wait, we did. Indeed. But one of the one of the most powerful things you said in there was the shift of the balance of power moving to the consumer. So that the industry today is largely built on the power sitting with those that make product and those that distribute product, which is retail and manufacture, that's gonna have like a million downstream in 
implications or change that people have to get ready for in manufacturing as well as in distribution. Any thoughts, Peter, on what those potentially are? All right. Sorry. God, I was totally distracted trying to bring the script up. Ask me the question again. So I just add what I just asked you, and Marcus, this will stay out of the recording. I just asked you, the balance of power shifted from retailer manufacturer to consumers. Yeah. So the entire industry is built the other way, power being on the other side. So when it shifts, what's the downstream impact in your ideas? Yeah, the downstream impact is that if you're not doing activities that are value-driven for the consumer, you're wasting your, your resources. So uh, all of those activities that generated revenue for a retailer but didn't actually benefit the consumer, those are, those, are, those are obsolete. They're just not going to be effective. I still think, we talked, uh, Melissa talked about retail media and the value. The fact of the matter is they are bringing awareness and discovery to consumers and there is value associated with it. So I think that's totally legitimate. The fact that they can monetize and take a piece of the advertising while still delivering value to the consumer is fine. But if they're doing something that really doesn't deliver value, it is just a, like slotting fees, right? How much longer are slotting fees going to be? Exist. Those don't deliver any value to the consumer. Well, once upon a time, it was about the planogram, right? So to get on the planogram, the slot and fee was necessary. Of course, today the planogram could be the back room of a dark store. The consumer is going to tell you what your assortment should be in physical stores in many ways based upon how they're shopping on the digital shelf. That is going to be the major influence. That's what's going to ultimately drive availability. If I'm doing click and collect, the assortment that I have in the physical store, if that's where I'm doing my fulfillment, it better damn well meet the demand requirements of my consumers who are doing click and collect. I think that's going to be a more powerful force than just taking $10,000 because it'll get a slot in a warehouse. If I can come and say, yeah, but your consumers, your shoppers are buying my product through click and collect, and if you don't have it, you're going to disappoint them. And if you disappoint them, guess what they're going to do? going to go somewhere else. It's like it looks really pretty. It seems like if there are any activity streams for the retailer or the brand that add costs but don't add value, they have to be removed right now yeah. because everyone, the retailer and the brand, are so busy and spending so much money subsidizing the shopper experience right now. Um, more specifically, subsidizing delivery, right? Because no one can really afford to do delivery with the same retail prices that we do in store without advertising dollars or other subsidies from brands or other investments. And so, and you, like you said, the shopper wins, right? The shopper is the one that has the power right now. Yep. So I think all those activity streams are going to have to go away. Yeah. And there has to be a two-way value exchange between the brand, the retailer, and the consumer. Well, I, think, I, think the, I think the retailer can sit there and say, if you really want me to deliver it to your home, you don't want to do click and collect, you don't want to go to a depot, there's a cost associated with that. And setting those expectations, that, that will have to change as well. Because otherwise, you're just going to watch all of these delivery services continue to go out of business. We're watching Gorilla Collect. We're watching all of these other ones in New York City. You know, Fresh Direct was very successful in building the model. They built the model because they could pull a truck out and drop off 60 orders in one spot. And they didn't spend most of their time driving me out between houses like they do out in Burbs. It's just, it's not going to work in most places outside of like Chicago and New York City. But I do think that because they've been, some of the major retailers have been able to offer free delivery or have been aggressive at that is the only way that they've stolen shoppers from Amazon, right? That's the only way they get e-commerce shared. So I think it 
it's kind of a tricky. Well, you know, they moved it. And, and grocery is such a huge desire for Amazon primarily because of the frequency of purchase. Kroger's most loyal shoppers, they're shopping three, four, even five times a week at Kroger's mm-hmm. their, their premium oil. So I understand the appeal. I mean, when Priceline launched its grocery division in 2000, the reason they did that was because they understood that when they stood up grocery in a market, their travel business saw a 40% increase. So if they could just break even on groceries, they could drive many more people, give them the impression to the travel business, which is where they made most of their money. And so I understand the appeal that Amazon has to it. And the question is, how important is it for traditional grocery retailers to defend that ownership of the frequency, <laughs> the frequency of purchase? And are they willing to subsidize that? You know, but you know, the stores themselves are set up for what the retailer wants. Oh yeah, they're organ- they're organized how a retail how a retailer merchandises categories. Like just go down a pet aisle. Do, do, do you do you shop uh, in the pet category based upon its food or its its um, general merchandise? Right. You have, you have a dog. You have a cat. Yep. For so long, and even today, I can walk in stores and tell you, oh my god, we've got retail lights because they still merchandise based upon how the buying situation is organized in the merchandise. You, you are right because I'm a two pet owner of two kittens. If I would ever walk into a pet store. I'm looking for things for kittens. I'm not looking for things for dinosaurs or for tigers or dogs or anything of that sort. It does annoy the heck out of me that I have to go to one aisle for food and then I get to walk somewhere else for um, anything that I need uh, from a replenishable standpoint for the kittens' individual needs, etc. So it doesn't make sense for me. Treats are in a completely different section whatsoever and then I got to sort through and say, no, it's not the dog stuff, it's not this, it's not that, I got to find... So, I'm gonna this. Go ahead. So, so is that not a massive opportunity? <laughs> I, I would mean, think so. I, I, think my, so. I feel like the shopping experience for me is full of spam. If spam is something that you don't want that's getting thrust at you, you're a vegetarian, I'm a vegetarian, we'll walk into a store and 60% of the store doesn't apply to me. 60% of what I see is spam. 90%, 95% of the pet aisle you just said is spam. How long are consumers going to accept spam, or are they going to ask for a new paradigm? When they start seeing experiences in physical retail that can deliver a hyper-personalized experience, they'll gravitate towards that, and everyone else will have to follow. That's my idea. I think it's going to be something else. I think it's going to be when it becomes so inefficient for pickers to pick out of those stores. That's interesting. When e-com gets to the store hurts, and I think we're already starting to see that in some brick-and-mortar stores where they're starting to be a little more thoughtful about organizing the store for the picker, and the picker is, I mean, it's You know what I'm starting to think, Andrea, for the longest time the picker was the consumer as the shopper. So, yeah. so nobody really was paying a lot of attention to it. They spending an hour in store, two hours finding stuff, going to a store. Wasn't there time? Wasn't there The store is paying for that time. It just goes back to where we started this with Jen. Who's got the shift of power, right? So let me bring that home by asking each of you one unique question. The question is going to be, I'm going to ask each of you for a prediction. What's next in the industry and from the unique lenses that you wear. So I'll start with you. What's your 30-second take on what's your prediction? 
My prediction is by the end of the year, the CPG guys will have 20,000 I did use the term, I said CPG guys, so I did use CPG in my response. All right, I'm gonna listen, you move on. So Jen, let's go over to you. I think Discovery will continue to move beyond the store, and I think Discovery will be consumer-centric. And yep. so, it, it's not gonna be retailer media or this media, it's just gonna be media, and it's gonna be what I choose to let in through my door, and it's gonna change completely. I think it's gonna flip the well, entire same. thing on a paradigm. Well said, Lisa? I would say the coming together of social display and connected TV for shoppability. Gotcha, it's a user experience for sure. Shopability. Because it puts the consumer in the driver's seat, and this way the brands can have the win, so we're going to reach out. Uh, I'm going to go more doomsday, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I think we're going to see a massive reckoning of these last mile delivery providers yeah. and ultra fast delivery. We are already starting to see some tremblings, like the, you know, like the beginnings of an earthquake. You can't have, have seven companies delivering in the same physical footprint and all people make money. Well, just the amount of subsidy that is occurring yeah. from, from you know, external investor, investors, I think it's... What money? It's all dried up. It's all gone. There's very little money left. There's one, I won't say the name of them, but I heard a presentation from them recently. They said, our, delivery, our business model is so customer-centric. All, like they said, something like 80% of their assortment was under $10. And the average order size was two. And I was like, that will never I feel like we have to have a separate conversation on how those economics <laughs> would work. Bring us home. What's your prediction, though? What's home? So, advertisers want three things they want incrementality, they want profitable growth, and they want market share. Those are the three things that advertisers want for the most part. Retail media networks are standing up really quickly, but they're standing up as standalones that are not interconnected with sales and inventory systems. So it's like inventory, like inventory it's not a big miss. That's a huge miss. Um, it's it's Pappy's opportunity, frankly, because we connect them, but the retailers really do need to connect these things and they need to make the, this data available so that we can measure incrementality and we can do that in a more systematic way. So I think that retail media networks are gonna stand up, but what we're gonna need is more of the internet interconnectivity with sales and inventory. Um, and we need to really understand the efficiency. I think macroeconomics are coming in, inflation's coming in, and that's driving consumers to purchase lower ASP items. They're really focused on profitability and things like that. So retail media networks have to really support these driving forces, and they need to provide the So let me remind our audience that all of our content can easily be found. Go to web browser, type in cpgguys.com as a URL. If you think you or your company has some thought leadership to contribute to this community discussion, just like the one we just had, drop us an email at contact at cpgguys.com, straightforward, contact at cpgguys.com, and maybe you can join us on the podcast. Don't forget to drop us a rating on cpgguys.com. That helps us shape the show, the type of discussions we have, and the topics. How do you do that? Easy. Go to cpgguys.com, homepage up top on the menu bar. There's a button that actually says ratings. That easy. Yeah, I'm not kidding. Thank you to the 16K plus followers on LinkedIn. You make the show without you. We, the CPG guys don't exist. And we're very grateful for all the love you've shown us. Clicks, likes, direct messages, content topics, everything else you send us. Check us out on TikTok, Instagram. Believe it or not, Peter and I are actually there as well these days. Thank you to each of you for appearing on the podcast. Melissa, Andrea, Risa, Jen, and of course, my friend Peter over here. 
and um, you know that you're always welcome. We love that you're all chosen to be part of the CPG Guys family and uh, driving change in the retail and CPG Guys industry. And with that, folks, we'll see you guys on another episode of the CPG Guys. Content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of reference to or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.